Welcome to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the nation's number one show for you as a family caregiver. How are you doing? How are you holding up? What's going on with you? You know, there's more than 65 million Americans right now serving as a caregiver. Whether it's an aging parent, a special needs child, somebody with trauma, somebody with mental illness, somebody with a chronic addiction, alcoholism, but drug abuse, whatever. There's always a caregiver wherever you find a chronic impairment. And this show is designed to help strengthen the caregiver. Help you gain strategies for a healthier life. Help you navigate through the landmines that are there. And also provide a place for you to take a knee. Catch your breath. And let's just to kind of regroup a little bit. It's incredibly disorienting to go through the journey of being a caregiver. You're either thrust into it with a trauma or a diagnosis or some type of event, or you choose to take this on. You, you, you marry somebody or you're in a relationship with somebody who has challenges. That's what I did. I said I do, and then I did. Either way, no matter how you get here, the journey is fraught with challenges and difficulties and mind-numbing issues that cause us to freak out at times. How do you handle that? What do you do? And and I'll give you an example. Recently, um, we've been going through this surgery with my wife and uh it's it's been a big one and we're still in denver she's been here now two months and i'm doing the show remotely and she developed a post-op infection and how many of you all have have been through that with post-op infection she's had many of these over the years and um i don't know if it's because of so much trauma to her body or or what i have no idea i'm not an infectious disease guy and i don't I don't pretend to be, but here we are. And so they wanted to do a bunch of tests to see kind of, okay, what's going on with this? Is this a, is this some type of bacteria that's gotten in the hardware? What's going on? And the cultures didn't really show anything. And so the surgeon had to go back in and they do a thing where they, they irrigate the wound where they think, think the infection site is. And to clean it all out, make sure there's not anything abnormal in there. Pockets of fluid or, you know, pus or whatever. I know that sounds kind of graphic, but we're all caregivers here, so we can deal with that. You know, you know what a, an affected wound looks like. Well, you got to make sure it's not deep in her. So they had to go back in and, and do another surgery. And I talked to the surgeon afterwards, and he said he didn't find anything that really just jumped out at him and said, okay, here's what it is. And it was a little bit frustrating to all of us. And I go back to what a friend of mine told me a long time ago. He said, get used to ambiguity. Get used to ambiguity. You know, for many of us as caregivers, closure is elusive until after a funeral. And even then it's tenuous because a lot of caregivers don't get closure at a funeral. You know, and solutions, answers, and definitive courses of actions, you know, they seem like luxuries that are denied to us as caregivers. You ever get that feeling? 
you know, you'd love to have something to just be black and white. Okay, this is the way it's going to be, or this is what's causing it. And now we know what to do, kind of thing. But sometimes with us as caregivers, it doesn't come that way. But demanding to know why and how, it seems like it's hardwired into our emotional DNA, doesn't it? And our cultures. They, they think back of, of during the pandemic, the first six months of the pandemic, all the commercials that ran during these uncertain times. When were times ever certain? But you, you can remember all those commercials, every one of them, during these uncertain times, we're all in this together, during these uncertain times. Yet, when are times ever certain? And for us as caregivers, we understand that. The only thing we can be certain of is uncertainty. You know, and, and ambiguity exists all around us. Not as chaos, but as things beyond our control. And making peace with things we can't control helps us better see that the confusion and disorder we rage against usually is coming from within us. Now, I don't mean that to be harsh, but let's just be honest about it. How much control do we have over the things around us and how much rage and fury and despair about that issue comes from within our hearts? Is there a way that we can learn to live peacefully with this? So when I was faced with this, we don't know exactly what's going on with her. And I know that Gracie's in the absolute best place I could ever hope for her to be medically. The only place that's going to get her better care than where she is now is heaven. So I have great confidence in this uh, whole team that's around her. I mean, some of the best minds I've ever seen. And I've been around a lot of doctors. Over 100 doctors have treated her, um, well over 100 doctors, and I don't know how many nurses. And she's gotten some of the best care. So I'm very comfortable with that. So when you get a, 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 an issue that comes back, you say, well, we're not quite sure yet. I had to make a choice, and I chose to shake hands with ambiguity again. <laughs> you ever had to shake hands with ambiguity? Um, it doesn't remove the discomfort and the weariness of the journey. You know, you're still going to feel kind of about it you know you don't like it and nobody's asking you to like it acceptance doesn't mean agreement you know we've talked about that on the show acceptance doesn't mean you have to agree with this but i accept the fact that we just don't know and we're not going to know but here's what we're going to do in the journey i found that when you come to that point it it reduces some of the stress and some of the bumps along the road. When you make peace with ambiguity, when you shake hands with ambiguity and recognize, okay, I'm just not going to know certain things. And I used to be this way about a lot of stuff with God. I wanted to demand that I know why God was allowing this. I, I, I don't know if I'm the only one on that's right now <laughs> talking about that, but uh, I would imagine there's a few of you out there that have been that place. Why are you doing this, God? Why are you allowing her to suffer like this? Why do you not intervene? And boy, I was so torqued with fury about that. I never doubted that he could do it. I just struggled with why he didn't do it. 
And then I learned to come to a place where I became comfortable saying, um, I, don't, I don't know why. I don't know why. And now I'm getting to this place where I'm realizing I can't know why. As a pastor friend told me, we will know him truly, but we'll never know him absolutely. He will always be more different, other. He is God. We are not. There's no way. And scripture speaks to this. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. And I'm learning to be comfortable with ambiguity. I don't know. I can't know. And it's okay. Because I trust the one that does know. Uh, There's a great quote by John Dewey. And he says, man lives in a world of surmise, of mystery, of uncertainties. That's a reality. There are just things we just cannot and will not know. We're not able to. And as you're dealing with your loved one right now, you understand that, don't you? And the only thing you can be certain of is that there's going to be some uncertainty when it comes to the day-to-day journey of a caregiver. But you could also be certain, be convinced, be wholly satisfied knowing that God knows. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And his promises are true. And morning by morning, new mercies we see. This we can know. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. We'll be right back. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality is changing hearts and lives. It speaks directly to the power and the grace of God. Gives me hope for people that I know that are struggling. The whole idea of In His Image has moved me. We actually had one gentleman contact us and he said that this film changed his mind about this issue. We had a pastor reach out to us and he said that he'd been struggling with hatred in his heart towards people in the LGBTQ community. And this film helped him to realize he needed to have compassion and show people the love of Christ. We also had this same sex attracted couple contact us and they said after seeing the film, they wanted to live obedient lives for Christ no matter what. And they said, please, Please pray for us. We know this is going to be hard. We've even had people come to faith in Jesus through In His Image. To find out more, visit inhisimage.movie. I'm Peter Rosenberger, and this is your Caregiver Minute. Physical isolation is one of the most challenging issues caregivers face, but our thoughts become isolated as well. In those lonely moments, our minds can play tricks on us and take us down dark roads. Like a pilot flying through clouds without looking at instruments, we can become quickly disoriented. In those moments, we need external input, an emotional GPS, if you will, to help us regain our heading and proceed safely. We don't need to believe everything we think. The book of Proverbs tells us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and to not lean on our own understanding. You know why that's in there? Because we lean on our own understanding. Serving as a caregiver is simply too difficult to do alone. Don't lean on your own understanding. Ask for guidance and help. Don't believe everything you think. This has been your Caregiver Minute with Peter Rosenberger, brought to you by Standing with Hope, a ministry for the wounded and those who care for them. There's more information at standingwithhope.com.
Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is the program for you as a family caregiver. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. If you want to be a part of the program, go out there. There's a little form you fill out. Just you got a comment, you got a question, whatever's on your heart. And if you want us to call you from the program, just put your, note, uh, your number in there and we'll be glad to do it. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. While you're there, check out all the resources we have for you. The podcast is free. Take advantage of it. Friends don't let friends caregive alone. And this is too hard a job for you to try to do all by yourself. That's 35 years of experience. saying Don't try to do this by yourself. It's too brutal. So go out there and take a look. I've put it all out there for you. I've got blog posts. I've got books. I've got audio books. I've got podcasts. I've got music. So many different things. Hopeforthecaregiver.com. I was doing an interview this week on a radio program, and it swerved into the political I, I'm a political junkie. I, I'm very much involved in what's going on. I, I, I pay attention. I read a lot. And I, I, I immerse myself in it. But that is not my message for this program or the other things that I do. I do write some things, but it's always from a caregiver standpoint. But I got a really interesting question. And he asked me, he said, what can we expect from Congress? And I told him, I said, well... Uh, we need to, number one, stop expecting Congress to do anything and start demanding that they do it. But if you want to know what you can expect from Congress, you can expect Congress to act in its own self-interest. They are interested in perpetuating their own kingdom that they've created around themselves, this bubble they live in. And they're not going to do anything about it. Otherwise, we'd have term limits. And they don't miss a paycheck. When the government shuts down, they don't miss a paycheck. Nothing happens to these people punitively, and a lot of them go there with marginal means, you know, modest means, and they come out as multi-zillionaires. Explain that, because we know how much the salaries are. And you, you see this systemic problem inside the Beltway in Washington. And he, this guy, went on to the conversation, and I didn't hold back. I mean, you know, I think, I think I have legitimate reason, and I can document why I say these things. I can't explain all the little policy nuances. All I say is just follow the money. And when you see somebody who makes, you know, roughly two hundred thousand dollars a year, and within five years they're worth twenty, thirty million dollars, you do the math and figure it out and and they're going to come up with all kinds of ways to shield themselves and not have to play by the same rules that other people do we saw this we, we've witnessed it this is not new but he referred to something and it just caught my ear for a moment and it brought me back into the world of caregivers because I, I don't want to swim too long in the pool of politics because first off there's not a lot of chlorine in that pool but he said that, you know, they, these public servants, and I stopped him, and I said, they're not public servants. First off, they're neither public nor servants. Public implies that they're doing things for the good of the whole, and these people are not doing this. And you, you all know, they're, 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 they're barking at the bequest of whoever pays them and what their, whatever their special interests are. And as far as servant... That implies you're doing something that is benevolent out of, you know, your own um, lack sometimes. 
and and you're 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 not being compensated per se certainly commensurate with what you're doing and these guys aren't servants i mean i think you all see that i mean i i don't know anybody that looks at these people and say oh they're servants they got real servants heart for as a collective whole no and i've been around a lot of people in congress and as a collective whole they don't they they preen and and spout off things to to perpetuate their election cycles and i stopped him and i said and i'm sorry if i'm a little bit harsh with this but i've been watching what's happening with our country and it it does inflame me a little bit so i have to back away because that's that's off message for me but the term public servant just kind of rankled me and i said to him you know who the public servants are in this country it's caregivers of wounded warriors of first responders, uh, fire, paramedics, rescue, police officers, people who put on uniforms and rush to danger. Those people are serving the collective good in their profession and the people that care for them after they receive tremendous wounds, injuries, disease, mental illness issues. I, I know too many cops who struggle mightily with years being on the force and, and the, just the, the PTSD, and I don't know what they call it now, but they used to call it PTSD. And family members who are left to pick up the pieces of that, that are untrained and unpaid. And I said this to this host, I said, to me, those are public servants. Those are the people that are putting themselves between that individual and a horrific end. And I know people right now who are taking care of family members, uh, young kids that went over to Iraq and shot up people with 50 caliber weapons, and they can't process it. It's, it's overwhelming to them. And they're not able to function very well, and they're battling terrible demons over this. Uh, I spent a lot of time at Walter Reed at the beginning of all this was going on. Gracie and I were up there a lot uh, when stuff was going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. And I saw family members there at Walter Reed taking care of their loved ones. Kids that have received terrible wounds that are going to last a lifetime. I look at the wounds that Gracie has received and, and, you know, we're decades and decades into this. And I know the kind of wounds that will last a lifetime. We get these kids over there that we save their life, but they have terrible traumatic brain injuries. We get police officers dealing with stress and unbelievable things they've had to see. We have child and family protective services. And these people have to see terrible things that are done to children. And who, who cares for them? They have a wife, they have a husband, they have kids, they have a father, a mother, a family member, a friend that sees to them because the, the, the blackness just overcomes them, the despair overcomes them. They can't fight against that enemy. And they're doing it without pay. And they're doing it without training. They're public servants. And maybe it's just a little bit of a, I don't know, maybe I'm being a little bit, you fill in the blank. If I'm being too harsh, let me know. I don't mean to be, but it just rankled me that these people of privilege and elitism who 
dictate from on high how the rest of the country should live and they don't follow the same rules themselves and yet they call themselves public servants they call themselves honorable and i just as a raise your hand if you think that they're honorable raise your hand i mean look at the approval rating of congress and and they they posture and they 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 give they genuflect all to each other and yet right now I can rattle off names of people who are taking care of some of the bravest people that I know. And they're, and they're weighing over their heads. And they can't, they don't even know what help looks like or where, where to go for it. And I, I keep them in mind when I do this program. I, I, I talked to a buddy of mine who was really passionate about going out to help with the number 22, which was these vets every day that would commit suicide. 22 a day. And he would, you know, it, I, I lived in, when I lived in Nashville, we were right there near Fort Campbell, and I would hear so many stories of these young men and women coming home from the battle and, and, and young, young husbands. And, and their wives would wake up at night and see him holding a loaded 45. And she's completely unprepared for this to deal with this. Uh, my dad's a military chaplain. He's retired now, but he, you know, he spent a lot of time with a lot of servicemen and women and their families. Still does, you know, throughout his entire ministry. I mean, he, 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 I don't think you ever stop being a minister, certainly of the caliber he is. And even though your body is frail, you can't do a lot of things, you get older, it's still in you to, to speak it, life it into those who are struggling. And we as a nation owe it to these people to speak life into their lives and to let them know that they're seen and they're heard. And so I'm just asking you as a, I don't know, I'm just, it's a little bit of a rant on my part. But when you hear the term public servant, would you help direct people to who are really doing the public a service in the sense of they're doing it out of, out of lack, out of no compensation. They're just caring for someone who cared for a lot of people. I know too many cops who have, have retired and, and they're not sure how to function in, in normal life. I, I got a buddy of mine who's that, that way. He, 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 he said it's taken years to bleed off what he went through and the relationships that suffered along the way. And, and I, I look at these young men and women that we were able to get to. They call it the golden hour. Uh, I've talked to a lot of folks at Walter Reed, a former commanding general Walter Reed, a, f- a good friend of mine. And they call it the golden hour. They were able to get to these kids within a certain time frame and save their life. And otherwise, the body count would have been much higher in Iraq and Afghanistan like it was in, in, in Vietnam. We couldn't get to them in time. We couldn't, we couldn't save them from that. But we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. Medical technology has come a long way, or the way we do things. But we've saved them to a lifetime of neurological trauma. A lot of these kids got their bells rung pretty hard. And the families are left to take care of them. And I just wanted to let you, you know that if that's where you are today, if you are one of those family members that are doing that, please know how important you are and that you are truly serving this country in a way that is so deeply important and honorable. And there is help available for you. 
get a hold of a chaplain. If you're a social worker that deals with family and protective services with children, please know that what you're doing has great value. And, and I implore you to seek counseling and help for yourself. Because I, 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 I appreciate the pain that you have to witness and see. And if you're caring for someone that does this, please, please seek out counseling for yourself because what they're carrying is too big for you to be able to carry with them as well without some professional help. Healthy caregivers make better caregivers. Let's be healthy together and thank you for being true public servants. Thanks for indulging me on that one. This is Peter Rosenberger. This is Hope for the Caregiver. We'll be right back. An elderly woman was praying in a Tennessee church when two women asked her for prayer. While they were praying, another woman stole the money in her purse. Does this shock you? It shouldn't because we're reaping what we've sown. We remove God from the public square. We teach our kids there's no God, and we've removed God's Word from their curriculum. Now everyone is free to do whatever they want, even stealing in church. I'm Pastor John Miller. Visit me at churchontherock.org. Today's culture is opting for entertainment rather than biblical enlightenment. For those who resist that trend, Friends of Israel shows listeners why loving the Jewish people and supporting Israel is important to the Christian faith. Friends of Israel shares biblical truth about Israel and the Messiah and promotes solidarity with the Jewish people. This is Chris Katolka of the Friends of Israel Today radio program heard each weekend on this station, and here's what's happening in Israel. Friends of Israel, Saturday afternoon at 2, here on American Family Radio. The Word of God tells us many times in one form or another, fear not. Today in the world, many people are very fearful about some of the many perils and dangerous happenings that are going on in the world. Psalm 91 verses 1 and 2 tell us, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. I'm Joseph Parker, and we here at the American Family Association would like to remind you, fear not, put your trust in the Lord. We'd like to both encourage and challenge you to aggressively put your faith to work. And one way to do that is to pray Psalm 91 daily for yourself and your family and keep your trust in Him. If you'd like to get a copy of the Psalm 91 prayer for yourself, email us here at psalm91 at afa. Again, that's Psalm 91 at afa.net. I've joined in the singing Cause you've shown me love's true meaning That's why I want to spread the news What a difference you've made in my life Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. You know that song, don't you? Y'all heard that song for a I have the writer of that song on the phone with me today. His name is Archie Jordan. And Archie and I have been friends for many, many, many years. And I'm just grateful to know him. And I grew up playing his music. I literally learned how to play the piano, a lot of it, using his music. And it is such a treat to have him here. He's an award-winning singer-songwriter, two-time Grammy Award nominee, and uh, he has written a host of songs that have served as a soundtrack for the lives of a lot of folks. He also understands the caregiving journey. And so I wanted to have him come on the show today and talk a little bit about some things in his life 
things he's learned through the process and some insights he has for uh, songwriters and music and all kinds of things. So, Archie, welcome to the program. Oh, it's great to be with you, Peter. Well, listen, Archie, you uh, when you hear those kinds of songs that you have done on this and you hear them come back like that, does, is it always fresh for you every time you hear it? I mean, you've heard them for four. You wrote that song. When did you write What a Difference You Made in My Life? 72? Uh, that one. Uh, no, it was later than that. It was it's about 76 or 77. 77, I believe. Almost what, 45 years ago, and it's still being played. It's People still know it. And how does that make you feel as a songwriter? I tell you, I'm just so grateful that, uh, you know, people still like some of these songs and uh, radio stations still play them. And, uh, you know, and I hear them in uh, churches and different places I go. And it's just uh, an honor, a real honor that that people still like them. And uh, I'm so grateful and uh, I'm very fortunate to have had these things happen for me. You know, that became a signature song for both Ronnie Millsap and B.J. Thomas, and then you went on to produce two of B.J.'s records, at least two of them, right? That's right. Yeah, produced two albums. On. We lost B.J. last year, and I know that you guys stayed in touch and, and were close, and you were able to talk to he and his wife as, as it got to the end there, and uh, what a great loss. A, a tremendous voice. I, I don't think there's ever been or ever will be a voice like B.J. Thomas's. And I know it, it must have been a real treat to produce those records with him. Oh, it was, man. He was uh, one of my most favorite singers in the world. And, you know, I used to listen to him and when I was, uh, you know, in high school. And uh, I remember going to the Bell Auditorium in Augusta, Georgia. I was living over in Aiken, South Carolina. And and B.J. was on the show, and it's the first time I'd ever seen him live, and he just blew my mind. He just had such an incredible voice, and I never dreamed, you know, at that point when I was in high school that I'd get to work with him one day, and he he recorded, uh, you know, many of my songs, uh, especially the gospel things. And, uh, and uh, he called me uh when he started getting sick, you know, and uh, he said, I just want you to know what was going on. And uh, he was going to that big hospital in Texas where they, you know, treat cancer patients. And uh, uh, it was, a, it was a, a great loss for me and many other people. But uh, I sure believe he's in heaven, man. He accepted the Lord, uh, you know, not too long before we got together and uh so i'm glad to know where he is man i i remember reading his biography uh and uh, that he talked about um his conversion to christianity and how he had come out of some very very difficult things in his life and uh that that had to have been surreal archie for you to be in the studio with him producing that record after seeing him when you were, you know, in high school, you were a kid and he was out there doing it. And then here you are now going into the studio and you're producing a record. And that had to have been a surreal moment. Oh, it was, it was, uh, we rehearsed out at, uh, my house. Uh, you probably remember Peter, I had, it was a little building, uh, 
you know, by, behind my house. It was the old kitchen, and I, you know, I turned it into a studio, and and we rehearsed out there. Just you know, me playing the piano and BJ, uh, you know, listening to the songs, and we would work on them together there, and and uh, it it was great. And then then we moved to the studio and uh, and recorded that first album, and it was. It was something to sit in the. I mean, I played piano on some of the songs, and sometimes I had somebody else. But sitting back in that control room and listening to him sing those songs was—it was a surreal moment. <laughs> it, you know, he was just one of my favorite singers in the world. Yeah. Well, and I'm going to play some more of your music. Uh, during our time together here. And then I've got a special treat at the end of our time when I'm going to play Gracie performing uh, a song that you wrote with Debbie Hargis and uh, some years ago. And Gracie, this song, she just made it her own. It's a beautiful song and it has such a great message. So that's a, a real treat at the end of the program. We'll close with that. Archie, you're no stranger to the caregiving world. And you, and I don't, you don't have to go into all your personal stuff on that, but you've had to walk through some tough times, you and your wife, Kathy, and, and you've had to walk through some tough times. What are, um, what are some things that surprised you about this journey? You mean regarding like my own illness or, or, well, yeah, you had your own illness to deal with, which was significant, but now you you're caring for someone else that is going through some yeah. stuff and you, and, and you came out of all the stuff that you had to deal with, and then you turn around and, and you're having to be strong for someone else. Um, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, yeah, when uh, Kathy and I got uh, married, um, you know, several years ago, I believe about 2003, something like that. Uh, but You, you um, might want to remember that, Archie. I know it. <laughs> Too many numbers going around, man. But anyway, anyway, she's uh, she's just one of the sweetest people I've ever known, and we uh, we got married, and um, but you know she had had a, a tough, tough illness, you know, with uh, arthritis, and her doctor told me. She was probably the worst case he had, and um, and it's you know it's just been very progressive. And uh, two years ago, had to have her uh, right leg amputated from the knee down, and that was a blow to both of us. And it was just just a hard, hard thing. And uh, but we, you know, we've gotten through it, and. Uh, She's just, uh, and amazing enough, I don't believe I could have done what she did, but she just did not complain. She didn't complain and gripe about, I don't have a right leg, I can't walk. She has never done that. I mean, she scoots around the house pedaling with one foot, you know, and uh, pedaling the wheelchair, you know. And uh, we're in the process of uh, getting up. you know, a scooter uh, or power chair for, but it's, it's, it's been a long process, but we're, we're getting, well, those things are, and she can't wear a prosthesis from what I understand. Is that correct? That's correct. Mm -hmm. Cause we, we tried it and, and, uh, 
it it just it wasn't gonna work for her. And uh, you know, one of her doctors said, you know, we think it'll be better, you know, just to have a scooter, you know, or or a power chair. And she's gonna get in the power chair. And um, and what, she's very excited about that because the seat will raise up and. You know where you can get to the countertop and get. But I tell her not to get those ones that launch you forward too far, because you got to be ca- <laughs> you got to be careful with those yeah. things. <laughs> That's right. How has this How has this changed you? Walking through this process with her, as you've had to watch her struggle with this, and you've seen her great attitude and her sweet spirit. But, but how has this affected you, Archie? Well, as made me a lot want to be more like her you know because i just see how she has taken it so well and uh i just uh you know just really pray that uh you know i have that same kind of outlook if uh i ever had something you know bad happen i mean i've had enough you've had your share of things I tell you, I hope I've gotten mine over with. But uh, it just just to watch somebody uh, just take it so well, I mean, it, it, it just uh, made me admire her so much. And, uh, you know, she's not a person that gripes or complains uh, about, you know, her state in life right now with having um, not having her right leg from the knee down and it's just it's had a powerful effect on me so uh how does it affect your your music have you been uh, able to kind of process it out musically uh, well i i I wrote a song about her uh, uh many years ago but it was it was um based on you know when we got married you know, uh, I, I'd say that the rest of it, I, you know, I spend a, a lot of time with Kathy, and I don't, I don't write as much as I used to, but uh, I try to write when, when I do get the opportunity to write. I, I try to write a, a real quality song that, uh, you know, something that really inspires me, and, and she is very inspiring to me. And so there's usually something, uh, whatever I'm writing, I'm, uh, usually am thinking something about her, you know, and, uh, well, you're not noted for shallow lyrics. I mean, you, the things you write and the melodies you write have such a poignancy to them as, as people can hear and what a difference you made in my life and other songs we're going to play when we come back from the break. And and so I know that as you watch these things, you're observing and you're thinking and you're processing it out. And the music that comes out of you, Archie, is extraordinary. And um, I really do appreciate you just taking time to share this with us. We're going to talk some more with Archie Jordan. He is an award-winning songwriter. He's written songs that we've heard for a lifetime. This is Hope for the Caregiver. This is Peter Rosenberger. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Have you ever struggled to trust God when lousy things happen to you? I'm Gracie Rosenberger, and in 1983, I experienced a horrific car accident leading to 80 surgeries and both legs amputated. I questioned why God allowed something so brutal to happen to me, but over time, my questions changed, and I discovered courage to trust God. That understanding, along with an appreciation for quality prosthetic limbs, led me to establish Standing with Hope. For more than a dozen years, we've been working with the government of Ghana and West Africa, equipping and training local workers to build and maintain quality prosthetic limbs for their own people. On a regular basis, we purchase and ship equipment and supplies, and with the help of inmates in a Tennessee prison, we also recycle parts from donated limbs. All of this is to point others to Christ, the source of my hope and strength. Please visit StandingWithHope.com to learn more and participate in lifting others up. That's StandingWithHope.com. I'm Gracie, and I am Standing With Hope. When we hear about bullying, it's our tendency to focus on the bully and the victim. But in reality, we need to start focusing our attention on a third party. That's the bystander. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Bullies are performing for an audience. Research shows that 85% of bullying takes place in front of other people. That means every day our children are sitting back and watching while others are getting teased and bullied. But listen to this. A recent study found that bullying stops in less than 10 seconds when someone intervenes. Moms, dads, it's crucial that we teach our children the importance of standing up for others. I sincerely believe that the only way to end this bully epidemic is to engage and encourage the bystander to become involved. Check out the articles, books, and parenting tips from Mark Gregston available on Facebook and at ParentingTodaysTeens.org. That is one of my favorite songs of Archie Jordan. B.J. Thomas saying this, You gave me love when nobody gave me a prayer. This is Peter Rosenberger. Welcome back to Hope for the Caregiver. We're talking with Archie Jordan, who has written so many beautiful songs uh, over his lengthy career as a songwriter, as a producer. And Archie, I also I'll brag on you a little bit more, too. Archie's a really good orchestrator. I mean, uh, one of the things a friend of mine in music business said, when you want great strings written out you know the parts for for, for all your orchestra get archie because archie can do string lines like nobody else so that i'm just telling you what they say archie that's what they oh, say oh man and oh, um, so you much. do you do great work uh, archie i wanted to ask you uh, one of the things i talk about on this show with fellow caregivers is that we have um we get so wrapped up into the journey of someone else's story. We lose our identity. We lose ourselves. And part of one of the things that I do to help me kind of regain my own identity and my own voice is I go to the piano and I work things out and I play and, and that creativity kind of helps come out of me. And there are a lot of folks out here that like to write songs. They send me the, some of their songs and so forth. And as a professional, as somebody who has achieved great success as a songwriter, what are some thoughts that you would offer to those caregivers out there who, you know, I'm, and I, some people, 
don't try to go out and write a Grammy award winning song, write something that's just authentic to who you are. But if you're struggling with this and you feel like you've got some music in you and you want to process these emotions you're having as a caregiver and so forth, Archie, what are some thoughts you would, some advice you'd give them? Well, I would, uh, kind of like you were talking about, I'd, if you play an instrument, guitar, piano, go to that instrument and, uh, you know, just kind of pour your feelings out. And, uh, you know, <clears throat> a lot of times, you know, the first thing you write might not be the complete song. You know, uh, many times I'll rewrite something. You know, I'll look at it and say, you know, that isn't quite 100%. You know, and sometimes it comes very quickly, but uh, sometimes you need to really, uh, you know, put some time in and, uh, you know, study it. And um, I tell you, I've, you know, all through my life, Especially from about high school on, you know, I would I would study the great songwriters and composers, and and you know, I, I think it's good to look back at those great great writers, the people that you really admire, and and I did that, and I would, uh, and it it influenced the way I write, but uh, you know, they're just I studied everybody from. Irvin Berlin, you know, to uh, the Beatles and so many more. And uh, the great uh, songwriters that, you know, wrote wrote the musicals on Broadway, uh, those guys were some of the best. And I studied them because they wrote such great melodies. Um, You know, listen to the people that that you like a lot. And... uh, I know that really helped me. Well, you have you have such beautiful melodies that you've written on on your songs. He's the hand on my shoulder. I, I love that melody. I love that song. And uh, I remember I went to you with a song that I wrote. Man, this has got to be almost twenty years ago, Archie. And and I was playing it for you, and you, and you were at the house because uh, I remember because we had black eyed peas that night. <laughs> oh yeah. And uh, the I got to introduce the kids to you. Uh, for the first time and they couldn't, they were so excited because they heard me playing a lot of your stuff. But I, um, I said, I played this song for you and you looked at me and you said, it doesn't feel authentic yet. And, Mm -hmm. and it really pushed me to go dig deeper into what I'm what I was trying to say with this song. And, and it, and it, and it caused me to go back and say, okay, what, what do I need to say? What am I, what am I dancing around? I'm not going to the heart of this yet. I'm, I'm, I'm still too far away from it. It was a great piece of advice. It doesn't sound authentic. Before we get into this last song, just talk about that for just a few moments on how to be authentic with your songwriting. I think the most important thing is uh, is just be sincere about it. You know, it, uh, if you um, you know you don't want to, you know, you heard me talk about. Uh, you know, being influenced by some of the great songwriters, but you don't want to try to, um, you know, copy what they do. You know, they can influence you and inspire you, but uh, you don't want to copy anything. And the Lord has uh, 
he has something that he wants you to write. And uh, I think one thing, too, is I do a lot of praying about it. You know, uh, you know that, that, that God would, uh, would show me what he wanted me to write. And that's probably the most important thing I could tell you. Because uh, he's the one with all the great knowledge, and uh, uh, you know, and that's that's who I depend on most for my inspiration. Archie, I I really do appreciate you taking the time. I, you know, and I I know you and I've talked. We've been friends for a long time, but let me just publicly say that I really did grow up playing your stuff. And the way you felt when you heard BJ and then you got to work with him, that's the way I felt with you. And I, I really mean that sincerely. I, I, I played, he's the hand on my shoulder. Um, not too terribly long ago at church. And I just, uh, I told the story about you and, and the, what this song has meant to me. And I've, I played it for a lifetime and I could, um, I could hook some of your, your piano playing. I mean, I, I could, I could hit those notes exactly the way you guys had them on the record. And that makes me feel good oh. that I could do that. And uh, wow. if, if uh, people want to find out about you, they want to go to um, archiejordan.com. That's archiejordan.com. A-R-C-H-I-E-J-O-R-D-A-N.com. And you know what? If your songs, I mean, if Archie's songs have meant something to you over your lifetime, I know that he would love for you to, to, send him an email, contact him, just thank him for it. Uh, And there's always a story sometimes that it meant something to you during a a tough place. If, if you can look back and hear what a difference you made in my life, you know, and, and think about certain things that happened in your life. I know those things are very meaningful to, to songwriters. I'm going to close with a song called midst of the Valley and written by Archie and, and a lady named Debbie Hargis. Gracie sang this, and to my knowledge, Archie just told me this, to my knowledge, I think Gracie's the only one who's ever sung this song, but it really captures so much of her life. And Archie, I just want you to know how much I appreciate you being with me here today. Thank you, buddy. It's my pleasure, and you're a great friend, and thanks for having me on the show. There will be times when your peace be found you cry for help yet you hear back no sound you feel there's no one on whom you can rely you think your battle's lost, so why try, why even try? But in the midst of the valley, you will see the Of the valley, in the midst of the 
The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.